Hey fam, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Dylan Bowman, here today with Dale Garland, the run director for the Hard Rock 100, a position that he has held for more than 30 years since its inception in 1992. We are now less than two weeks removed from the 2023 Hard Rock 100, an event that I have the good fortune of participating in this year. I'm currently in Silverton, Colorado, trying to acclimatize to altitude and get my butt in shape for this legendary, beautiful, and brutal run in the San Juan Mountains of southwestern Colorado. For those who have been at Hard Rock as a runner, volunteer, crew member, pacer, or simply as a fan and spectator, you know that it is a very special event with a unique energy. And much of that energy is a reflection of the run director, Mr. Dale Garland, the only person to hold that position in the three decades the event has existed. And he is our guest today. We chat about what makes Dale unique, his career as an educator, lessons in leadership, the early days of Hard Rock and some of its legends. We talk about the tension of honoring the spirit of Hard Rock while evolving with the times. We talk about dealing with criticism, succession planning, and a lot more. We recorded this a couple of weeks ago, but Dale is such a great guy. It was an honor to host him on the podcast. Before we get to the show, a big thank you to Speedland, our presenting sponsor here here on the Free Trail Podcast and my personal shoe of choice. Dave and Kevin have been hacking together a few one-off options for me to choose from on the Hard Rock course for what is shaping up to be a very snowy, wet, and tricky year at Hard Rock. I just went running with Avery Collins the other day, who will be rocking a prototype of his forthcoming commission, the evolution of the SL platform. I haven't tested it yet myself, but I have to say it looks sick. You can preview it on uh, Avery's Strava account for those who are interested. In the meantime, go grab a pair of the GS Tam, my signature shoe, or go pre-order the latest GSPGH, the Cam Haynes Commission, which will be shipping this fall. As usual, you can get a smoking hot 10% discount by using code FREETRAIL10 at runspeedland.com. Also, I wanted to give a quick plug for the newest podcast in the Free Trail Network, the Midpacker Podcast, hosted by OG Free Trail community member Troy Meadows. We've been incubating this idea for months now, and we're really excited to get it out into the world. We've long received feedback from our audience to have more content that gives shine to the runners who occupy the middle and the back of the pack, the lifeblood of our amazing sport and community. Well, that feedback has been received and we are super excited to help bring this to life. And it feels so perfect to have it grow organically out of the Free Trail Pro community. Troy is a fantastic host. And his first guest is Matthew Hoadley, another free trailer who has been around since day one and who has an amazing personal story of recovery, sobriety, and the role running played in his personal renaissance. Go subscribe to the Midpacker podcast wherever you are listening now and make sure you follow the show. Thanks everyone for being here. Hope you enjoy the episode. Dale Garland, welcome to the podcast. Debo, it's so good to talk with you, buddy. It's so good to see you. I'm so glad to finally have you on the show. And you (laughs) you gave me a personal phone call to my cell phone about 10 days ago to inform me that I'd cleared the wait list. You invited me into the 2023 Hard Rock 100. It's funny, actually, because I was with my in-laws at the time, and I pull out my phone, and I see a missed call from Durango, Colorado. (laughs) And you go, who do I know in Durango, Colorado? I knew I was first on the wait list, and all of a sudden, (laughs) I got goosebumps, and sure enough, I have a voicemail from Dale Garland. There it is. Well, you know what, uh, Dylan, it's so funny, because that, that those are some of the funnest calls that I get to make every year. You know, just because, you know, like you or other people, I mean, this this event and we can talk a little bit more about this. You know, it means so much to people and to be able to sit there and say, hey, we would love for you to come and join us and for them to be able to go. Yeah. Heck yeah. You know, it's so cool. It's, it's so it's kind of like Santa Claus. You know, Billy Simpson used to say, I got you're, you're like Santa Claus because you keep making all these presents and stuff like that. And so that's standard process for you. When somebody pulls out of the active start list, you make a personal phone call? I do. Yeah, I do. 
Yeah. Yeah. So to further paint the picture of me receiving this news again, I called you back immediately and you missed my call and I left you a voicemail (laughs) and I said, I would graciously like to accept your invitation. (laughs) And then my brother-in-law was like, Hey, let's have a whiskey to celebrate this. So there you go. I had a whiskey and now I'm going to teetotal. I'm going to on the straight and narrow until race day. (laughs) day So anyway, thank, thank you uh, for that call. You bet. Yeah. You bet. And thanks for joining here on the podcast. I wanted to to start with a fun little introspective question I use as an icebreaker, and that is just what makes you you? What are your unique personality traits, your characteristics that make you unique, both positive and negative, however you want to do it? Yeah. You know, when you asked me to think about that, it, that, it really was kind of a, a real like, whoa, that's a that's a really reflective question that kind of took me a second to kind of think about. But I think um, if I if I were to kind of maybe say two or three different concepts, I think the first one um, that makes me me is anybody who knows me knows I'm a fairly optimistic and a fairly positive person, but not in a way that is um kind of Pollyannic or anything like that. It's realistic optimism. And, and that kind of comes from you know, uh, kind of this concept of I'm in charge of choosing my attitude every day. And, and so I can kind of have control over that. And so um, I, I, tr- I try to be realistic, but I also try to be optimistic. And I think that really helps, you know, when you're trying to figure out something, it's like, well, let's look at all sides of all sides of the issue, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to be positive and, and try to figure out ways to um, make things work. Um, I think the other thing as I was kind of thinking about this today, um, I'm not conflict averse, but I'm not I, I'm I'm not somebody who seeks conflict. Um, I like to put myself in positions where it's it, I know it's kind of a try tr- a trite kind of thing, but I, I look I look to get into a situation where everybody can win. You know that win win situation, mm-hmm. and, and how can I best kind of make it good for everybody. So, yeah, those those are a couple of things I think Incredible. that were yeah, yeah awesome. On the optimism point, it reminds me, and choosing your own attitude. I had a conversation with somebody recently where I was kind of lamenting certain things that we were dealing with on the business side of things. This is somebody who's mm-hmm. sort of been an unofficial mentor, and right. he just said, you know, there's two things you can control how hard you work and whether right. or not you're a good person. That's and right. So it's, it's honestly exactly. a very simple, almost cliche thing to say, but also kind of help reframe, you know, when I am in these difficult situations to think, right. okay, there's two things I can control. How hard am I working? I work really hard. Am I right. a good person? Okay. That's the right. variable that I need. To right. And, and that gives you, that gives you a reason to, to go out and do the things that you do. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I kind of, wa- I was walking around yesterday and it was, you know, like, I was getting my tires changed on my car and it just dawned on me. It's like, here I am in a beautiful part of the country. Um, I'm retired. I have money. I, all these positives. I just had all these positives. It was like, what do I have to be bitter about or be pissed off about? So beautiful. So Dale, I want to begin our mm-hmm. official conversation here talking about right. the Joel Zucker Memorial right. Scholarship. Mm-hmm. So to begin that, who was Joel Zucker and what is this scholarship? Sure. Um, well, Joel Zucker was a runner, a hard rock runner. Um, he was, he was, he came from New York every year. And this was back, way back at the, at, at the very beginning, and not, not at the very beginning, but early on in our, in our um, history. And he was a librarian in upper New York, um, came out every year, was just kind of that positive. I mean, he had a lot of positive energy. He loved dogs. He loved, you know, everybody was his friend, that kind of thing. And um, ran Hard Rock, finished Hard Rock. Um, and then one year he was driving back to um, with some friends uh, back to Albuquerque to fly back to New York. And he suffered a heart attack or an aneurysm. And um, that was really kind of like a holy mackerel. You know, that was like you know, it hit us. all. It, it hit us all really hard because it was it was somebody who had just ingratiated himself and and, and 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 immersed himself in the hard rock culture. And so being a, a librarian, being somebody who's in education, um, we started to talk with his his sister and his mom and and like how can we continue to honor the the memory of Joel? 
And fortunately for that, at that time, you know, Andy Crone and Charlie Thorne, who were both kind of hard rock at the beginning, Charlie was our one of our founding members and his wife, Andy, um, had gotten to become really good friends with Joel. He'd always stayed on their on their uh, on their floor or something at their house in Silverton. And so they they kind of took the took the lead and said, let's create a scholarship. And and so that was um, 24 years ago. We started we started contributing money and um, we just in fact, I just got the announcement today. We just this year we donated this year forty three thousand dollars to uh, kids pursuing either starting college or post second or trade school or something like that or continuing with their post secondary education. And now we've, in Joel's name, now we've given away a little over $288,000 in his name. It's a beautiful thing. And the reason I wanted to start here is its connection to education. Of course, I know you retired last year, but you made your career in teaching. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about or ask you why you chose to, to devote your life to education and now in retirement, how you reflect on that career. Yeah, um, that's a good question. I, I, it's kind of education was kind of well. Part of it was the family business. My mom's a teacher. My dad's a teacher. My dad's wife's a teacher. My sister's a teacher. My brother's a teacher. That kind of thing. But so, so it was something that kind of just I'd grown up around and that kind of thing. But but when I was able to make those decisions, um, and, and I didn't come to that career as my first career um, after I left high school. Um, but the more I began to um, think about what, how I wanted to make a difference in the world and what I wanted to do, um, first, I was in business and, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the challenge and that kind of thing. But at some point, that little voice in the back of my head keeps saying, you know, work with kids, work with kids, work with kids. And, um, and so I just uh, at one point, it made sense for me to, to kind of to step away from the business world and get involved with education. And it was really interesting, Dylan, because even within the, the area of education, it became very apparent to me who I could work with and who I couldn't. I, like I couldn't work with. I'm not smart enough, creative enough to be an elementary school teacher. I don't know if I'm patient enough to be a middle school teacher. So kind of by default, I, was, I ended up being a high school teacher mm. and I had a great career at um, Durango High School. That was the only that was the only place I ever taught. That's the only place I ever really wanted to teach. And uh, yeah, I retired from there in June of last year. And you were so popular that your local newspaper, the Durango Herald, <laughs> wrote an article celebrating your amazing tenure. And it said that you taught yeah. social studies, but that your mm-hmm. students really knew you as somebody who taught life lessons and philosophy and mindset and positivity, which is where we started this conversation. So maybe tell us specifically what you taught and maybe that mix between academic and practical. Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah. And now, you know, and and I think we can all, anybody listening to your podcast can probably imagine those teachers that they just had good relationships with. And they had, you know, if you say, who's your favorite high school teacher or what teachers did you get along with or whatever, we all have those teachers. And so, um, for me, teaching at its core was really, it wasn't about content because they, I taught a lot of history. I taught a lot of European history, U.S. history, economics, things like that. Um, and and I don't know how much they're going to remember from that, you know, but I think what they will remember is I knew somebody who cared about me and I knew somebody who helped me figure things out and that kind of thing and somebody who made me feel safe. And so those kind of things, I think, were the things that that I I was real proud of. Um, the other thing that I was very involved with was um, st- developing student leaders, young student leaders through our student leadership program. And so putting them, I mean, a lot of us would call it student council, but I chose to look at it more as student leadership. And, and how, do, how can you grow leaders and how can you grow high school students to become better not only human beings, but again, leaders and people who are going to lead us down the road. I always joke that say, I got to do this right because you're going to be taking care of me in a few years. <laughs> so I want to make sure that you're doing it right. Yeah, it's up to you, the next generation. That's it. Maybe exactly. tell us some of your principles of leadership. Obviously, you're the leader of the Hard Rock 100, and you probably have to embody these principles a lot. Is there anything you want to share there? Yeah, you know, it, it, that's a really good point. I think there's two things. And, and one of the other things you asked about was, you know, who are some of my, I guess, almost like role models. Yep. Um, but I want to talk a little bit more about that in a second. But but uh, 
when my my wife um, and I were going to, we got married and we went on a honeymoon to Seattle um, and came across this place called the Pike Place Fish Market. I don't know if if you know where that is or whatever. And throwing, and throwing, throwing the fish and the whole thing. Yep. Yeah. At the time, it really didn't hit me, but then I I I, I saw a video on it and it was something that it, it, it hit me at the right time at, at the right place at the right time. And it's my and I adopted it as kind of my mantra, if you will, the four principles of the fish philosophy. And that is going back to that choosing your attitude, um, making people stay, um, being there for people and then having some fun while you're at it. Yeah. And and I tried to keep those four principles uh, kind of front and center as I as I worked through my high school, my teaching career. Fantastic. And your career, it seems like, was 31 years long. Right. And if I do the right. math myself, it means that you started that teaching career in the early 90s, right around the right. time that the Hard Rock 100 yeah. began. So yeah. I, I'm wondering like, whether yeah. that's a coincidence or whether now, like looking back, do you feel like in some ways that was preordained that these two things <laughs> evolved <Yeah>. simultaneously? <laughs> Well, it was it it wasn't it wasn't planned per se, but um, the third kind of the third thing that that happened that happened in that particular point in my life was I used to be I used to run. I came I I started ultra distance running in 1988 uh, when we ran the Colorado Trail uh, when the Colorado Trail opened, um, and then I. Um, I mean, and I remember it so clearly. I was uh, I was racing up at Leadville, the Leadville 100, and I had to walk down Hope Pass. And I go, "Wow, that's really weird." And make a long story short, um, I went in and I, I basically blown through all the cartilage in my hip, and I had to have a hip replacement at 30, 32 years old. And and it was just something that my, you know, my my orthopedic surgeon and and my physical therapist and stuff. They just said, you know, you you just had the bad luck of the draw, your hips never formed right. And so, but by then I'd gotten so involved, not involved, but gotten to know the ultra running community and like the people and that kind of thing. It's like, what else can I do? And it was just at that particular time that Gordon Hardman put at that article in the ultra, ultra running magazine said, Hey, I've got this idea to do this crazy hundred mile run down in Southwest Colorado. I'm looking for some people to help. And um, I go, there's my, there's my end. There's my calling from the universe. There's my calling. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> so tell us about the first running in 1992. I went back and looked yeah. and it looked like there was 18 total finishers. Right. And the locals in Silverton probably didn't even know that this race no. was going on. No. Now it sort of <laughs> takes over town. Did you have a sense? Exactly. Of, did you have a sense at the time that you were onto something truly no. special with the event? No, not, really? not a bit, wow. not a bit, you know, and, and you and I, you know, you and I both know that ultra running in in 2023 is a whole lot different than it was earlier, you know, and, and yeah. we've seen growth and evolution in the sport and things like that. But um, back in the early nineties, it was just a bunch of yahoos getting together in the mountains to try to do something, you know, this, this concept. And uh, the first couple of years, the first year in particular, um, I just remember the, um, I'm surprised I didn't kill anybody. Let me just say that, you know, <laughs> you know, because very few, I, I didn't know what I didn't know, you know? And uh, so being able, not, not really knowing um, how to mark a course, not really knowing about weather and stuff like that, you know, it was, it was something that, uh, and again, there were, there were, there were five of us that kind of put it together. The aforementioned Charlie Thorne, um, Rick Trujillo, who a lot of people will know from your Ray, yep. um, John Kappas, from, who grew up, who was a, a scientist at Los Alamos, but he was he also grew up in Telluride. Um, Gordon Hardman, who was kind of the, the originator of the idea, and then then me. Um, so, yeah, those first couple of years, we were just we were just kind of flying by the seat of our pants and things like that. But but we, luckily, we had that five people who had a real strong commitment to what we were doing. And so every year we would evaluate, reevaluate, try to get better those kinds of things, but, uh, all those things, yeah, all those things like kissing the rock totally by accident, because I didn't know, I I hadn't, I forgot to plan a finish line. So it's like, well, just go touch that rock, you know? So all these, all these things kind of were, er, yeah, 
It's um, funny. All, all those great traditions evolve organically like that. It brings to exactly. mind, I was at an event here in the Bay Area a couple months ago for the Dipsy race, which is, of course, a mm-hmm. hundred, mm-hmm. you know, uh, more than a hundred years old. And their tradition right. is that if you finish in the top 35, you get a black shirt. And somebody asked yeah. the question is how that came to be. Why is it yeah. that you honor the first 35? And one of the old timers said, well, we went to the t-shirt screen printing company in the seventies and they gave us a discount if we bought 36 <laughs> shirts. So we print one with number zero and then we honor the first 35 finishers. There you it's go. It's like, what a great story, isn't it? Just yeah. like a completely yeah. arbitrary t-shirt printing volume right. discount turns into this proud <laughs> tradition for decades and decades. How did the idea for alternating the direction of the course uh-huh. manifest itself yeah. because it's such a fun, unique element that adds so right. much character to the race. Right. Well, Gordon, uh, Gordon Hardman, again, who's, who I, I call the founder of hard rock had kind of two ideas. This was in Southwest Colorado. A lot, they were going through kind of a downturn in the, in the economy, which was based a lot on mining. And so he was looking for ways to bring some economic development. So maybe Gordon didn't understand because we have kind of over the years become a little bit more of an economic engine to to some of these places. But um, he was looking for a way to bring some healthy tourism um, and economic development to the four mining towns that were being kind of impacted by this downturn in the mining industry. And so the original plan as it was, was to start and finish in a rotating basis around every of the four areas. So one year we would start and finish in Silverton, then one year we'd start and finish in Eurasia, you know, da-da-da-da. Um, but as you kind of mentioned, you know, when we went to a lot of the, you know, the town chambers of commerce and stuff like that, they were like, yeah, we don't, you know, we don't really care, except for Silverton. Silverton kind of got it early. So, so that after about Three, four years, we said, we're not even going to, we're just going to keep it in Silverton. But then we wanted to figure out how could we make it unique. And that was when we came up with the idea of doing clockwise and counterclockwise um, runs. Yeah. So it's so fun. And I'll be going counterclockwise this year for the second time. So there you go. That means I got to stay go. in this for this. You got to stay in it because yeah. you got to do the clockwise thing. No, right? no you hip see, replacements. You got to see what you can't see during the night. No hip replacements for me. Knock on wood. Not for a little while. <laughs> not until I get that clockwise run. Yeah. Um, while we're on the subject of history, I'd love uh-huh. to have you introduce the audience to a couple of characters who. People sure. probably don't know, but who are integral to the hard rock story. That is Kirk Apt and Betsy Kalmeyer. Can you just say yeah. a few words about each of them? They are the 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 man and the woman with the most hard rock finishes um, of anybody. And they have been at hard rock. There's nothing left for them to prove, but they I think they both embody the spirit of hard rock of being in the mountains for the love of being in the mountains, because, you know, to a lot of people now in, in, again, you and I know, you know, things have changed and the options for people are, are so much more numerous in terms of events and things like that. But to Kirk and Betsy, um, they just love being in the San Juans and they love the community and they love being around us um, as an organization and that kind of thing. And, you know, Kirk's got 26 finishes and Betsy's got 23, 24. So there's nothing left. I mean, you know, their legacy is set when it comes to hard rock and their legacy is set in terms of mountain running. I mean, there's, you know, not much more they need to do or prove. Um, But they are every year when I see both of them, it's like, you know, it's good to see you again. They go, yeah, there's no place I'd rather be in July than than in Silverton. At the briefing that you do every year, you have a really uh, fun tradition. At least I've been there multiple times, even on years when I haven't mm-hmm. raced, where you ask people to stand up who finished the race, the run, yeah. I should say. Well, I want right. to come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then you say sit down or keep standing. If you have more than five finishes, mm-hmm. a bunch of people yeah. sit down, sit down. If you have more yeah. than 10, a bunch of people sit yeah. down or keep yeah. standing. If you have more, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. And eventually it gets down to 
Betsy and and Kirk right. and everybody sitting there. It's a goosebumps yeah. experience to just pay yeah. homage to the longevity and the consistency that they both right. embody. And it right. feels like hard rock is deeply personal and something that means the world to them. And yeah, they're great representatives for the culture yeah. and the, the philosophy right. of the race of the rock. Exactly. <laughs> and their, and their humility. I mean, and, right. and, you know, and Kirk is so thankful and, and Betsy too. And, and, you know, I would be doing Blake Wood a disservice if I didn't put his name yeah, name right. in there too, because he is the third. I mean, the, those are the top three, you know, yeah. um, the, the, and, uh, yeah, just their just their commitment and their willingness to share um, their experiences and things like that um, just make them really special people. All three of them. Awesome! Yeah, shout out Blake Wood. He he shook me down for my service requirement form. <laughs> also, I just <laughs> talked to him about it today. We still got four or five people that are, you know, it's like, well, what are we going to do? He goes, I'll give them one more call and yeah, one more text yeah. and that kind of thing. So I've stumbled a couple of times and corrected myself about the difference between the run and the race. And I'd love to hear you expand on this. I'm sure you've talked about this a lot in the past, but it feels obviously like a conscious, intentional, deliberate differentiation that you do. Mm -hmm. I recall at the award ceremony or the graduation ceremony after (laughs) my finish, you make a point when you recognized the first finishers there to not use the word champion to not do anything that traditional award ceremonies do. Mm -hmm. I mean, you obviously recognize the skill and talent Mm -hmm. necessary Mm -hmm. to complete the loop as fast as some people do, but you make a point of using the word first finisher rather than champion and using the word right. run instead of race. Can you just expand on right. that philosophy? Yeah, sure. Well, it, it, yeah. It, and it is kind of a deliberate thing. Um, and, and I guess I, you know, in, in, you know, and I know um, as again, as, as ultra running has evolved and things like that, times and places and things like that are, are important to, to a lot of people. And we want to recognize, you know, a, like you say, I think that was really good. What you said, you know, that, we want to recognize the skill it took for people to do it in, in a certain amount of time. So we do keep times, you know, we do, but we also want to say, you know, the mountains don't care, you know, they don't care if you are Dylan Bowman or, you know, um, anybody else, you know, so we, we purposely want to say it's, it's the, it's, it's, a, it's an event that pits humans against mother nature. And um, we celebrate everybody. Every you know we try it we 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 bring everybody together at the end of the at the end of it and um but the emphasis has never been on yeah the racing component of it it's it's on the completion and what it takes each each and every individual to 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 make it um yeah and then we we like I say we we do try to to recognize everybody at at our awards banquet it's a special thing and it. I think stands out for all of us who've done dozens of races all over the world. There is that special feeling to hard rock and finishing. And then that graduation ceremony, you really does feel, I don't know, there's more of a collective feeling than a hierarchical feeling to it. Right. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you said that because that, that is, that's our intent. Yeah. And and I'm glad that kind of comes through because, you know, that's what we, what we hope happens. Yeah, it certainly does. This episode is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition and the new salted margarita flavor of Gnarly Hydrate made with extra sodium, 500 milligrams per serving to be exact. As we head into the summer months, hotter weather means more loss of fluid, means greater need to supplement electrolytes. You guys know I am an electrolyte evangelist. Sodium, magnesium, chloride, and potassium are critical for proper hydration level, nerve function, muscle function, and body pH all important stuff for performing at our best out on the trails. Guys, this product might be my favorite gnarly product of all time. You must give it a try. Delicious 
margarita flavor, some savory saltiness to it, and all the electrolytes and B vitamins you need, especially for us salty sweaters. As they say, it tastes like the real thing, but it won't make you dance on the tables and it won't make you wake up with a headache. Gnarly Hydrate Salted Margarita. Find it at gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15. So Dale, I'd love to talk about the tension you must experience sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sure. As the only run director in the history of the Hard Rock 100, right. as the sport has exploded, what have been right. the biggest challenges for you in navigating that, staying true to the traditions mm-hmm. and to the legacy, yeah. while also you know trying to be progressive and sure. changing with the times, et cetera? Yeah, and that there, there you hit it right there, right there. How do you how do you balance that the tradition and the legacies and and what got got us to this point with remaining relevant and and current and topical and and meeting the needs of a of a vastly different uh, group of runners than than there were there in, in 1992, 1993, 1994. Um, and so it, it it's it's an innovative process that we we kind of think about. So I'm gonna go back to the challenges because I think. The two challenges that we face is just the and and we're not you know we're not the only we're not the only you know event that's that's feeling this pinch of being oversubscribed by you know factors of ten and and that kind of stuff. We we're probably a little bit more um, in the bullseye a little bit sometimes, but we're definitely not the only one. I mean, you know, Craig Thornley's doing the same, he's facing the same thing at Western and he, you know, it, it's, it's, it's prevalent. So, um, so it's, it's for us, it's coming, trying to come up with a way to strike a balance between bringing people to Silverton, at least in the, in the entry field who are either new to the sport and want to experience it or are the keepers of the, hard rock culture, the hard rock traditions, those things that you, you've kind of already alluded to. And so we've tried to, to strike a balance of in our lottery of, of doing that, you know, by the numbers and that kind of stuff and where we actually now actually have four lotteries because layered on top of that is as more and more women get involved, we felt like that was important to, to recognize that. So now our, our women's lottery, the number of women who tow the line at hard rock is equal percentage-wise to the number of women who apply in our in our initial lottery. So it it is a you know it is a a really fine line because then you get people, as I said, you know, Betsy, Kirk, they they come every year and they know the culture and they know that stuff. But trying to keep that culture with people who this may be their only shot at at hard rock. And and it may be a bucket list or because of the 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 lottery or the things like that, they may or may not ever have a chance to come back. So I only have, we only have, our, our committee only has that short period of time to tell them, this is why we think Hard Rock special and we're glad you're here. Um, you know, and that, and that takes some work and it takes some doing things with intent or uh, with some intention. And the other thing I think that we're all dealing with in some form or fashion is um, technology and how that's impacting things. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we're trying to do things that for a variety of reasons, whether it's runner tracking or, you know, um, satellite tracking or, or things, other things that we're, we're doing, you know, it's like, it, we want to use it because we, we don't, we, we believe in some of those things that are, they, they increase, they enhance the runner's experience. They enhance the, the people who are following their friends, the friends and family who are, are following these people. So we want to, we want to give them that experience as well. Um, but other things, you know, we used to print, for example, a 15 page course guide, you know, and you know, on paper, and it was like, go to this rock, turn left, go to this rock, cross the stream, go right, you know, that kind of thing. But now with Strava and, and all that kind of stuff, we've, that's kind of allowed us to do some, some different things in terms of how we manage the event. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then the other thing is, is again, how we bring the hard rock experience to more people who aren't in Silverton. Mm. So putting a finer point on it, I'd love to maybe talk about how you deal with criticism. Like I said, there is mm-hmm. infinite demand. Mm-hmm. The race only has sure. 145 slots. Right. And in the past several years, I mean, I can recall at least a few instances where 
your personal integrity and the reputation of the race are mm -hmm. called mm -hmm. into question, mm -hmm. in my view, very unfairly. How have you dealt with yeah. that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I think that the biggest, the biggest thing that we try to do is we try to communicate what we do and we try to be clear in, in what we're doing. We, we pub, you know, that's why we spend a lot of time trying to, to explain the lottery. We, we have that on our website, that kind of thing. So I think communication is, is the key. Um, yeah, it hurts when people are, you know, saying that I'm playing favorites or, you know, we have, you know, there, there's a lot of frustration out there. Lot I call it lottery fatigue, lottery frustration, that kind of thing. Um, but I just encourage people, if I hear of that, then I, I do try to reach out to them and say, you know, what's what's your issue and that kind of thing and try to try to explain, you know, being the teacher, right? <laughs> being the teacher in me. Right. I want to I want to I want to educate them and, and try to to solve the problem. But um, yeah, it hurts when I read things. And then then the, the other part is. Do you want to get down in the mud and want to wrestle with them, you know, and and, and sometimes it's, it's really hard to bite my tongue or whatever. But I know in the greater thing, the greater good, you know, for the greater good or in the bigger picture, it's not going to do much good um, for me to just try to respond to every single comment comment that's critical of of, you know, of my management or of our event or things like that. And I don't know. I, I, I don't know. You know, at some point you you, you do get not I don't want to say immune to it because it still hurts, but you realize that it's part of the it's just part of, you know, heavy the head that wears the crown. Right. And, well, uh, you know, and some it just comes with the territory. And you said at the beginning of our conversation that you're fundamentally a conflict avoidant person. So I bet it does right. hurt your feelings and probably yeah. is hard to bite your tongue yeah. sometimes, not only for you, but probably for members of the board too. And I want to come around right. and talk about the board and the structure right. of the organization. But maybe before sure. we get to it, if there's anything specific you want to say about some of the recent evolutions. I know, for example, me being on the wait list this year was different than wait lists in years past and that I needed a male finisher, mm -hmm. a previous finisher of the race who's male right. to drop out in order for me to move up the wait right. list. So maybe right. in addition to that, if there's other things, or you could explain the rationale behind that change in rule and any anything else that has happened recently that you think is relevant to the listeners? Yeah. Um, again, this is educational probably because they're going, well, don't you just have a lottery? Don't you just put all your names in it and, and just draw? It's like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, we have we have um, we have the, the full computing power of Los Alamos National Labs at our disposal. So we can <laughs> we can figure out many, 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 many different ways. But but at the at the end of it, it's it's trying to be the fairest we can to the people who have similar experiences. So what we do is we, you know, the Dylan Bowmans of the world who have finished Hard Rock, we put them in one one jar or whatever, um, you know, and, and and you have your own wait list and you work through the wait list um, that way. People who have never experienced Hard Rock, we put them all in a separate category, and and then again, male and female for each of those. Um, we have tried to make it a little bit less convoluted by just basically saying you either finished or you didn't. It's not, it, we used to do it by the number of finishes. We used to have three, we used to have six lotteries. Now we're down to four lotteries. Right. And so, um, but it's just, it's a matter of, yeah, if, if somebody who has finished hard rock drops out, then we feel like somebody else who has experienced hard rock should take their place. Kind of thing. And a lot of it was born out of, if uh, a woman drops out of the lottery, for example, a woman should take that position to help right. balance things right. out. To keep, to keep, keep things balanced. So, right. so maybe yeah. going back to the structure of the organization, mm -hmm. you could use that rule as an example, but I'd love to just mm -hmm. kind of hear, of course, on the website, it, it lists the board of directors for mm -hmm. the race and then a run mm -hmm. committee. So if you could kind of right. explain the difference between the two, yeah. how you as the run director interface you know, with those interface. two, yeah. those two groups, yeah. and just generally yeah. how how decisions like that are are made, the, and the the people at the table. Yeah, exactly. Um, we are we, uh, we incorporated as a five hundred one c three about seventeen years ago, eighteen years ago, and so as part of that, um, 
because then we could get, you know, people could make donations to like the Joel Zucker scholarship and, and that kind of thing. And they could, uh, if they spent a lot of money, you know, because we realized that volunteers, which is the backbone of our, our organization, they're making a financial and a time commitment. And, and so if they can somehow, you know, use their contribution to hard rock as a tax write-off, for example, by us being a, a nonprofit or for corporate partners to be able to say, we want to further, you know, some of the goals and initiatives of hard rock and, and that whole thing. But we incorporated as a, as a 501 C three. Um, and as a, as a result of that, then we did have to have a, a board of directors. And so the, the board of directors oversees Policymaking, their job is really to set policy, um, look out for the big picture in terms of, for example, this whole lottery, the lottery that we've been talking about, that was a board initiated board policy that was passed. Um, and, and so these are a group of dedicated men and women who really have certain skills. We've got somebody who's good at accounting and we have somebody who's good in the legal area and things like that. Just like any other organization or corporation, you have to have a board of a board of directors, not all of whom have ever run Hard Rock. You know, some of them are just, they're just interested. They're, they they came to us because they're they're interested in in helping out and that kind of thing. And they're they're my boss because the other thing they do is they hire me. Um I'm the, you know, in a in a corporate structure, I'm the executive director of of hard rock. And so their, their job is to hire, um, hire me, audit, audit our finances, and then create policies that they think is good for the betterment of, of the hard rock, uh, event itself. And then it's up to me as the, the event director, run director. Um, and I sit on the board as well as, as kind of, uh, ex or, uh, as a member, but, my real work is with a group of 30 fantastic, dedicated, special people who are the run committee. And, you know, so we have the aid station director and we have communications directors. We have runner tracking coordinators and we have, you know, just everything that it takes to run hard rock falls under under um, my purview. Mm. And uh, I was count I was counting up for for next month. We and a lot of them have been around for 20 years. We have total now our our uh, run committee has organized. I'm just looking at right here, 308 hard rocks. Wow! You know, if you take all the times they've yeah. been there, and that's a pretty that's a pretty special group of people. Yeah, well experienced. Yes. Will this be your first year as run director since you retired as a teacher? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. How has your life changed since retirement? Do you miss teaching? I do. I miss I miss the relationships. You know, I, I miss I miss that part of it. I don't miss the grading. I don't miss you know every teacher you talk to is the same thing. You if you do it well, you miss the you miss the interactions. You don't miss the planning. You don't miss the Sunday night panic of what am I going to do on Monday morning? That kind of thing. The grading <laughs> and things like that. Uh, but I still you know I still. I, I, I'm terrible. I'm failing at retirement in that sense. Cause I talk to them at least weekly, you know, I, I, you know, my, my fellow teachers and that kind of thing. But the biggest thing for me, and this kind of comes out of COVID too, is when I retired, uh, my wife and I, uh, we relocated to the Fort Collins area. Uh. And so trying to do that, you know, for the, up until this year, I was just on site all the time. Oh. And now I'm having to, to do it through zoom and, you know, phone calls and things like that, because for Collins, for your listeners is about what, what do you say? 350, Far, 370 uh, miles away. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's Northern Colorado versus Northern Colorado. Colorado. Exactly. Exactly. Didn't, weren't you Dakota Jones high school teacher? Yes, I was. Legend? And you're sort yeah, of responsible for indoctrinating <laughs> him into this incredible sport. Well, well, yeah, because Dylan uh, or Dakota, he he became um he was and by his own admission i'm not going to say anything that he wouldn't say himself he was an okay cross country runner in high school right you know he was okay he wasn't he wasn't the state champion or anything like that but one year he and he was a volunteer at the engineer aid station and like the light came on he goes this is so cool and and i want to be part of this so much and 
well, the rest is Dakota Jones history because, you, you know. Yeah. Do you reflect on that? Because obviously Dakota and I are of the same generation. He's uh-huh. a few uh-huh. years younger than I am, but he's always been somebody who I've really looked up to right. as an athlete, but also as a person. And yes. you've probably had yes. an opportunity to observe his evolution yes. from being a, yeah. an average high school runner to a world dominating trail runner. Exactly. What's that been like? Yeah, well, the athletic the athletic component I think speaks for itself. But Dakota Jones is a quality individual off off any trail. Mm-hmm. You know, the his his depth of empathy, his depth of thinking, his concern for the issues that he's concerned about, his willingness to live the life that reflects those those values and things like that. He's just he's just one of those special you know, as a teacher, he's one of those special kids that I'll always remember, but that's because, you know, of ultra running, but also he's just a, a really, a really quality, not, not only a fantastic athlete, but a quality person. Lives the values. I think Lives pretty values, soon yeah. he'll be riding his bicycle from Salt Lake City <laughs> to Olympic Valley, California to take part yeah. is in he? Western States. He is. Yeah. Is he? Talk yeah. about live your values. He's already done that. He did that for Pikes Peak. Know. You know, he, he just... He, he really does, you know, he believes in these things and he, and he takes action based on those, those things that he thinks are important. Not a hypocrite. This episode is brought to you by HVMN and their Ketone IQ Supplement. Ketones are important macronutrients with clinically studied benefits for increasing energy and focus throughout the day. Ketone IQ is brain fuel, naturally increasing your blood ketone levels in just a simple, handy two-ounce shot. The perfect thing to throw down the hatch whenever you need an extra boost, either in your training or in your daily life. My wife Harmony and I have become really enamored with this product, honestly, between running our business business, my increasing training load and being parents, we've been operating at full capacity for a long time. I had specifically become overly reliant on caffeine throughout the day until I started taking this product. And I have to say it has really helped me to feel more focused and energized. And especially in my training, I have been having a ketone IQ shot in the mornings before all my long runs. And it really does help me feel steady energy for hours on end, even when the baby has kept me up at night. This stuff has evidently become really popular in cycling and is just now being discovered by runners. So go check it out. You won't be disappointed. Visit hvmn.com. Look up the ketone IQ. Use code FREETRAIL20 for 20% off. hvmn.com. Use code FREETRAIL20. Let's uh, talk about the San Juan Mountain communities. I know part of Hard Rock's mission is to have a positive impact on those mm-hmm. communities, economic mm-hmm. and otherwise. Mm-hmm. Obviously, tourism is critical for their mm-hmm. survival. Can you talk about yeah. why that's important as the run director and how those two consecutive cancellations sure. with snowpack and COVID impacted the communities? Yeah, um, a couple of things. One, I think in that case, you know, it, Gordon Hardman's vision came true that we are now seen as an, a viable economic um, activity for, especially Silverton. I mean, Silverton's the smallest of the four, com- well, the second smallest, Lake City's smaller, but, you know, we provide, um, and it's almost kind of a double-edged sword, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second, but um, some real clean tourism dollars to communities that, especially in the case of Uray and even more so in Silverton, um, live and die by um, tourism and that kind of thing. And, and it's such an integral part of the, to, to, for their, their success and their, their ability to, to provide for the people who live there year round is the tourism business. Telluride, uh, Telluride is Telluride. And it's, it's kind of, I mean, they've got some things that have really uh, helped them along the way. Um, and, but you know, yeah, the, not the, having the, as the, much of an economic impact on the people. No, <laughs> no, no, yeah. no, not a bit, not a bit. That we're just a little blip on their screen, right. yeah. you know. But uh, it's interesting because they are, and it, sometimes it's personality dependent. Um, because we've actually, over the last two or three years, had a couple of people there who've become really started to get more involved, uh, wanting to be more involved in hard rock, that kind of thing. Um, so they're starting to see a little bit more of a value to it, but certainly not like, 
Uray and certainly not like Silverton and or Lake City see mm-hmm. uh, see Hard Rock. Uh, now that being said, it, it's it's almost that double edged sword because it brings more people to a resource, the San Juan Mountains and that kind of thing, who who may or may not understand the fragility of that that environment. They may or may not understand proper trail etiquette. They may not understand some of those things. And so again, it's incumbent on us. Um, as a as an organization to try to educate and and help help them learn about the environment so we're not loving it to death. Um, How much is history still talked about in those communities? Because I'm thinking about the incredible article that I think it was Megan Hicks wrote. It was definitely published on Iron Far called "Sharing the Load." I think it was what it was called. That documents the deep history of right. mining in the San Juan mountain communities. Mm-hmm. Is that it's, history? It's, it's there. Mm-hmm. It's there. Um, and we celebrate it. You know, that's the, uh, um, I'm glad you brought that up because the legacy of the hard rock mining and the legacy of the hard rock miner as a, as an individual, uh, wild and tough, you know, those, those it's, it's, it's part of, it's part of the, and I would say it's probably a little bit less than it was, maybe 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago, as recreation has become more and more of a, of an economic driver, but it, you can't go walk down the main street of Silverton and not know that you're in a mining, in a mining town, that kind of thing. So, and so we celebrate, you know, we celebrate, we incorporate it, um, you know, in some of the things we like our volunteer of the year award is the mother load award, you know, those kind of things. So we, we try to, to, to try to play along with that. And having run and finished the race myself, you do get a deep understanding that the trails you travel during the race were built by these hardy, these hard rock miners looking yeah. to make a career in mm-hmm. a harsh uh-huh. environment. Yeah. I guess maybe one very like a uh, small detail, personal curiosity thing. Sure. There's 145 runners i recall 146 146 146. now 146 gotta gotta have gotta get that other one so we have male and female okay so explain that to me because i recall one year it bumped from 140 to 152 and then bumped Mm -hmm. back down to 145 explain that decision making sure now 146 (laughs) well 146 is easy because you got to have a an, an even number for for men and for women yeah okay um so we are we we are uh we're the guests of the Bureau, U.S. Bureau of Land Management, the U.S. Forest Service, and they permit us for what they think we can, can kind of, you know, realistically accommodate on on this fragile resource that is the San Juan Mountains. And then they let us, you know, they evaluate us every year, and they go and they walk the trails and they look for damage and that kind of stuff. But we also do a lot of a lot of stuff beforehand. So our Permit is kind of a it's a, it, and that's a big part of it. But then there's the other part of it in terms of how many people. If we bring so many people to Silverton, where are we going to put them in terms of housing? Um, how many people can we really put in the Silverton gym for the award ceremony and and those kind of things? And so it's a, it's a kind of a fine balance too, uh, especially as we get more and more, and, and I can't believe I'm saying this, more and more spectators and more and more people who are just coming to experience hard rock, you know, that space gets um, a little bit tighter, but we don't want to make it an event where you can't bring your family, you can't bring your friends, you can't have other people share your experience with you. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really about, you know, I was talking with Brad Bishop, who are, is our aid station director extraordinaire um, yesterday about parking and where we're going to put all the cars at, at Cunningham Well, you guys are coming into Cunningham and, and how do you manage the logistics of increased crowds and not lose that culture and that kind of that small feel that family, you know, family feel that we've kind of become known for. Yeah. I love that you touched on what can Silverton the town accommodate because it's already stretched with a race of 145 people. And I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there who are frustrated. They've been in the lottery for a long time who are like, why don't they have four or 500 people in the race? And it's like, well, even if you could get the permit, you couldn't fit that many people in Silverton. So, right. 
and, you know, and, and, and they've been really good to work with us, you know, like last year and we started again and we're doing it this year again, they donated free camping. So we have free camping for 180, 180 spaces and things yeah. like that. So Camp we're, we're trying to do that. Um, and again, you talk about that evolution of how, how do things change and that kind of thing. Um, but um, at the end of the day, there is that, again, that balance of how do you not kill the golden goose that, you know, that experience that people want, you know, and if, if there was an experience and, and, you know, from, from being there, if it was an, if it was an event of three or four times what it is, I'm not sure it would be the same event that you came to the first couple of times. Yeah. Wouldn't be hard rock. Let's talk about this year's race as we start mm -hmm. to wind down. You sure. sent out an official statement saying something to the effect of hard rock is a go. I think <laughs> it's a go done an evaluation of the snowpack. Yeah. So maybe right. talk us through in what condition the course is in any details yeah. you can tell me about sure. the, uh, the snowpack asking for a friend, as they say, uh, tell us how the course <laughs> is doing. <laughs> well, if, if anybody, if, well, and you probably know, cause you've probably been following it. Southwest Colorado uh, the San Juan mountains just had a, an abundant, um, as, as are other parts. I mean, I think Northern Mexico had the same thing, um, just an abundant snowfall this year. And, and in the big picture, that's a good thing because it brought a lot of it out of the drought, but, um, there was a considerable, considerable, considerable amount of snow. And so what we do is we have actually uh, a gentleman who monitors uh, a couple of, of snow of, of snow sites, um, snow snow level sites as well as snow water equivalent sites, things like that, and just um, monitors it for the empirical data. And then we also have um, people who are out; they're living in Silverton, they're living in Telluride, they're going and you know exploring these trails, and they're talking about you know how much snow there is relative to years past and that kind of thing. So there's that little bit of that of the of the anecdotal um, that goes along with it, but we. And we do this every year. We take a look at things, how, what the, the basins that we're running through, we, we take a look at that every Memorial Day weekend. That's kind of our go, no go time. And for the most part, you know, when it's, when it's a normal year, it's no big deal because the melt rate and the snow water equivalent is within the parameters. But this year was, we kind of had to do some projection and some crossing our fingers and that kind of thing. But uh, your buddy, you're going to get your feet wet. I'm going to tell you that right now. So tell your friend, tell your friend, they're going to get uh, their feet wet as well. I still have never changed my shoes or socks in an ultra marathon. So maybe I'll break that streak. I'll bring extra, extra <laughs> shoes and socks this year. There you go. There you go. Stick them in a drop bag someplace. Uh, awesome. Yeah. So Dale, you're the only run director in hard rock history. And as we wind mm -hmm. down, I'd love to ask you about succession planning, if that's not weird. Sure. It's not weird at all. You're still in your prime. Um, I don't want to suggest you're one, <laughs> one foot out the door. I seem to have a little bit more free time now yeah, than I used yeah. to. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I wondered just sort of like what your mm -hmm. goals are for mm -hmm. the future of Hard Rock and how you're thinking about your future as the run director. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and you, I'm glad you use that word succession planning, because I think that's something that, um, you know, I, I I wrestle with not only for me, but for our run committee is, you know, we're all getting a little bit more along with experience comes age and, and come with age, come different priorities and things like that. So uh, we talk about it a lot. Um, I still really, really, really enjoy directing hard rock. It's, it's something that I'm passionate about. I, I, I don't know what I would do in July if I weren't in, in Silverton. So um, I'm not ready. I'm, I'm here. You're the first one. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm here to say I'm not retiring anytime soon, but um, ultimately that will probably be a two to three year process because just because of the enormity um, of, of the, the, the mechanics of putting it together. And again, I'm not, I'm sure Craig Thornley or other hundred mile race directors, you know, say the same thing. Um, and then finally it will be, I'll have a say in it, but it will be the board, the board, our board of directors um, decision. But my, my goal would be when that time comes, hopefully I have that fourth foresight to say, I can give this two more years. Or I can give this three more years or whatever. And I can, I can pick my, my heir 
um, and the person who's going to follow me. I will tell you that there's a little bit of the organization, but they got to have they got to have a passion for it. They got to be able to believe in what hard rock not only means to the communities, but it means to the people who are coming there. And that's that's going to be my litmus to see who who take who sits in this chair after I do. Yeah. It's like who can who can carry that on. Well, it's been an incredible run, and yeah, again, I don't want to suggest it's any no, no, near, not near a bit. Over, people but... ask me, people ask me that all the time, especially when I retired. They go, "Well, how much are you going to retire?" It's like, well, everything I read about retirement is you don't want to get rid of everything all at once. Right. So I'm thinking getting rid of my nine to five and then moving 400 miles away was probably enough for at least one year. Well, we talked about Betsy Kalmeyer and Kirk Apt with 20 plus hard rock finishes. Right. I'd say. 31 hard rock run directions is at least as <laughs> impressive. Um, Dale, a couple closing questions for you. I sure. sent these to you via email, so they won't be a surprise, yeah. but it's been a really fun yeah. way to close conversations and you I'd bet. love to have you contribute yours here. Yeah. The first one is who is one person that you admire inside or outside of sport living or dead? And why is it that you admire that person? Can I pick two Please. real quick? Yeah. I couldn't come up. One one is personal. One is, um, and we, we go back to some of those concepts of, of leadership and things like that. And I've never met the man, um, but I'm a big college basketball fan. And when I read or watch podcast or listen to podcasts or watch videos of Mike Krzyzewski, I find so much of what he says resonates with me in terms of if I could have lunch with him, I would love to have lunch with him. But in terms of how he builds a program that stands for something and how he brings a culture to is the Duke men's basketball um, program. And, and I, I know all the UNC, all the North Carolina haters, you know, all the Duke haters are going to like, get out. Yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, I look at him just, and more from a leadership perspective, than anything else, although he does, he does, was a pretty good game of basketball yeah. too, but just how he deals with people and that kind of thing. And I guess the other one, I know this may sound, I don't know if it sounds weird. Um, I lost my father um, last or a hundred days ago now, 103 days ago now. Um, and he was a big influence on my, on my life. And a lot of people who came to, to hard rock knew my dad because he was there, he was there to support me and he was there no matter what I needed, he was there. He he was my sounding board a lot of times when I needed to have bounced something off of, you know, in terms of a decision I had to make. Um, and he is where I learned a little bit about that positive outlook and that sense of of optimism and things like that, because that, that was my dad as well. So, I love it. Thank you so yeah. much, Dale. I'm sorry you for bet. your loss. And yeah, I'm sure yeah. that that has been hard for you. And I appreciate you also saying a few words about Coach K. I just listened yeah. to a great podcast with Shane Battier, who was, of course, mm -hmm. a great Duke basketball player. I'll send it to yep. you because he talks yeah. a bit about yeah. the leadership of Coach K and some of the unique ways that he had an impact on Shane's life. And can I just tell a quick story Please. about that? Yes. Uh, real quick. I know we're running. We're going to run out of time. But I used to be, once I found he he wrote a book called Leading with the Heart and um, and I, I gave it to my seniors high school seniors as part of their of our student leadership program. I said you have to lead that and every every kid who came through our leadership program I tried to convert to becoming a Duke basketball fan. But one year I out of the blue I just emailed his assistant. I said hey I use Leading with the Heart a lot you know that kind of thing. Would 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 Coach K if I bought the books, would he sign them for my seniors as graduation presents? Wow. Every year, every year he got them as, you know, individualized things, you know, to, you know, to Shauna or to Madison, you know, always remember to lead with heart, Mike Krzyzewski and that wow. kind of stuff. And I, yeah, it was really, it was really a cool thing. Very, very cool. Yeah. Dale, final question for you. Sure. What is one truth that you've learned about yourself or about life in general through your experience in sport or as the run director of Hard Rock? Right. I'm, cho I'm choosing to look at Hard Rock. Yeah. How's that? Since that's what this Please. is. Yep. Um, I think what I've learned is there's a, a, a fundamental need and an importance to be part of a community that's bigger than yourself. And that we're at, we're we're best when we're a part of that community and working towards a, a community goal and a community good and that kind of thing. And if there's one thing I've learned 
directing Hard Rock is the value and the importance and the joy of belonging to a community that shares a goal, share and, and a variety of things. Dylan Bowman's going to run, but then we're going to have the volunteers who are going to help him get there. Then we're going to help, you know, the town that that celebrates him as well and that kind of thing. So this this concept of Hard Rock has taught me about the importance of community and and what a meaningful part of life that can be. What a beautiful place to end, Dale. It's been a joy to have you on the podcast. I really appreciate yeah, you. I love it. I love it, Debo. And uh, looking forward to seeing you in Silverton. In a couple weeks. All right. Get off the couch. <laughs> Until then. Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much to Dale. Hope you all enjoyed the conversation and it helped you understand the event a bit more before the run commences on July 14th. I am feeling pretty intimidated, but really grateful to have another chance to do this incredible run in the San Juans. Free Trail Pro members, let me know what you thought of the episode. Drop your feedback in Slack. Tell me what your takeaways were, what questions I missed, and whether or not you enjoyed the episode. If you're not a Free Trail Pro member, you should come check it out. Not only do you get access to the Free Trail Slack channel, which now boasts more than 800 people from all over the world, but you also get access to our robust catalog of training plans, access to our weekly office hour Zoom call, which we do every Wednesday, and which is the highlight of my week every week. You get discounts on our merch early access to registration to our events like Gorge Waterfalls and something else that we're going to be announcing very soon. Hint, hint, and a lot more. Membership is only $10 a month or $96 for the year, and there is a free trial. So check it out at freetrail.com or at the link in the show notes. A big thank you to our sponsors, Speedland. Visit runspeedland.com, use code freetrail10 for 10% off these amazing pieces of footwear. Gnarly Nutrition, go gnarly.com, use code free trail 15 for 15% off these great nutrition products. And then HVMN, of course, go grab some of these ketone IQ supplements, use code free trail 20 for 20% off at HVMN.com. That's it for this one. Appreciate you all for listening. Love my job. Love the sport. Love you all very much. See you next time. Bye-bye.